everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I've spent most of the off-season avoiding fake trailers for Drive to Survive Season 4, and I have lived <laughs> to tell the tale. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? You know, it's not just about speedy race cars. Haas is here, too. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. I just lost oh, yes. half of our American listeners. Good job. <laughs> Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, welcome to our uh, off-season news episode. We're going to catch you up on everything that happened uh, from the end of last season until right now. Uh, if you are new to Formula One itself, we've got a preseason primer episode coming. Uh, but if you just can't wait, I guess you can go back and listen to last year's episode 137. Um, but yeah, that's that's our, our annual uh it's it's like the daytona 500 we we start the season right. with the big one yes uh, that's uh typically like a double length episode that explains everything about formula one assumes no prior f1 knowledge uh tells you how the sport works who everybody is all that good stuff uh look for that in a couple weeks um also the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift f1 where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films f1 video games uh, experiments with other racing series and a lot of weird things so if you would like to support this show and get access to all of that fun stuff head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes what's going on in patreon land danny <laughs> Yeah, massive thank you to Drew and Rob for uh, steadying the Patreon content ship while I was uh, otherwise indisposed, helping with some with some family stuff. Um, I'm glad to be back. And this week or next week, we'll be recording our uh, an episode on Grand Prix Driver, which we've covered in the past. But we, I think, given the time and the everything that's happened since at McLaren, I think it's a pretty interesting. Uh, there's a good reason to go back and and check it out again. It's also um, a good like preseason. Uh, yeah. thing to watch and i don't think we we certainly haven't done a patreon episode on it i think we just kind of no. talked about it uh when it when we watched it but yeah it's, it's a uh, long it's time ago now i feel like was rob were, was rob around then i was, was around that? but the thing the, the thing i'll say now is like because we have a better understanding of what was going on at mclaren and like what zach brown's leadership there would ultimately end up meaning for the company the entire documentary hits really differently like it's it is so much more interesting now uh, because we know how the story ends. And we also, like, there are some dynamics that were, like, hard to parse first time around. And now it's like, right. oh, yeah, okay. I see what's going on. Doesn't look <laughs> yes. good for Bully, eh? <laughs> right. That's uh, available on Amazon. Uh, it is. Sure. Yeah, it's so, an Amazon uh, documentary. Uh, and yeah, just to reset, it's about the, uh, the switch to Honda engines that McLaren... Uh, it looked to be a bright future, and that's kind of what the documentary goes in expecting, and then it changes. <laughs> yeah, something wild. Um, so we'll do that, and then we'll have, probably have our first couple of months of uh, next season's Patreon exclusive podcast. will hopefully be all about Drive to Survive Season 4, which is coming out on March 11th. Um, but uh, thank you so much to all of our patrons, uh, all of our patrons who um, stayed as well over the off-season, you know, even though we we're sort of catching our breath. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, and especially all of our title sponsors, I was wondering if this year there'd be a lot of different names. And I guess we'll do a, we're going to rejig the Patreon stuff, which I always do at the start of the season. We always have a big chat about it and sort of figure out some cool new stuff to do. We still have to record that wine bottle video. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I got some more F1 fantasy cards when I was in Ireland. I found some new <laughs> F1 stickers. Fantastic. Pro- probably worth a fortune. Um, so we'll do a video opening some of those. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll do a big push. But for the moment, our first uh, title sponsors this year are at Team Blackjack, E-Dog, I-Dog, J-Dog, Pyrites Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Gnarly Goat, David Mule, Juice, Drew Stewart, uh, BPMs, Big Promble Motorsports, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Conor McManners, Snigs, Reagan, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, William Romph, and Jason Kelly. I reversed them. I, I noticed that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's the good. world's it's turned upside down, much like the 2022 regulations. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a transition. Uh, speaking of 2022... We now have cars to look at. Cars that don't all look like rainbow glitter things. <laughs> <laughs> like the official FIA one they put out. I was like, wow, they look awesome. Especially this crazy, like, eight-year-old boy decal they've put on this car. <laughs> it's like a it's like a hologram, like a foil Pokemon card. <laughs> exactly. Really yeah. What it looked like. Uh, yeah, I mean, w- we will go deep into the uh, the various changes um, to the cars in the preseason primer, of course, but it suffices to say here, I think that uh, the cars look quite different from they did last year um, because uh, they're trying to change the way that aerodynamics work uh, so that the cars uh, can race closer together and not have to deal with the huge aerodynamic wakes that were coming off of uh, the old cars. So, um yeah, what what do we think? I've we've I've compiled a a list of photographs here for us to kind of run down all the different liveries, but I just want to kind of get a sense from you guys. Uh, overall, the new look of the bodywork of the cars because there was that prototype that came out uh, that F one released, but we all kind of knew that well, uh, the teams are not necessarily all going to look like this. They're all going to do their their weird different uh shapes and and bodywork and they're all going to try different things the noses are going to look different and i think that has that has borne out what what danny what has sort of stood out to you uh looking at all these cars the size of the wheels is just like makes them look like toy cars they're like i just want to pick them up (laughs) you know um i think i was expecting there to be less um sort of complexity in some of the aero stuff and i was surprised by some of the teams um kind of leaned into it like i know that they were simplifying stuff like rear wings for instance like some of these rear wings you're you're kind of even like how would drs even work on this like it's i I mean drs should hopefully be less of a thing this year anyway that's kind of the whole point but um i was struck by how like teams like mercedes for instance their side pod is like looks like straight out of the the like the start of the previous era when we had we were going for like really crazy out there aero stuff um obviously with the ground effect stuff uh, there is less of a necessity for a lot of that and and i'm sounded like when we were talking through the rules last year that they were just also trying to simplify the cars and negate a lot of that but um yeah mercedes was the one that that struck me also it was weird that they put out that photoshop version of the car and it looks completely different to the car that they they ran at silverstone the nose is way more uh way less drastic and and that and then color color wise i i so it's it's that split some of the teams look exactly the same mm-hmm. color wise like haas and then you have mercedes and uh, uh other teams like um you know even ferrari's red just looks feels different um so yeah i don't know it, it, but i just i like the look of them i think uh 
weirdly the halo makes more sense now too it sort of it, it feels part of the yeah the, the, the cockpit or whatever it is it kind of flows better it doesn't look like it was just a wishbone stuck on top of the car anymore yeah rob what are your thoughts yeah i think um you know cars the cars look nice uh they've got a nice i think overall the the new regs uh lead them to having a kind of graceful uh line overall um in a way that i'm not like that they they don't always have uh i think i don't i don't think i love most of the liveries that much i feel like we are in there's like a bit of like almost groupthink happening around liveries i think chain bear is <laughs> pointing this out um but like the fact that everyone does a heavy band of black trim uh like coming up from the side pods like <laughs> yeah. like and sort of and and you get why they do it because it's such an easy contrast to throw against whatever is your big bold primary color um but i think overall it gives the field kind of a monotonous look um and ends up being the cars i think just like scan a little more darkly uh than than they otherwise would uh i i do have to give a special shout out though to um man I guess Omar showed up to Alpine and brought that BWT uh, sponsorship oh with him. Yeah. The most expensive uh, like part, like sponsorship in F1 because you have to paint that car Kaopectate pink. I know. Uh, that's what threw me when I was looking at that. I was like, who is that again? Is it Force India? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing is I associate it so strongly with Force India. And yeah. therefore, I still like, is that what Aston is doing this year? Exactly. And no, yeah, and that's, that's what Alpine. threw me. <laughs> um and like and the other thing is that they're doing like <laughs> you know i don't know what the rule is going to be but it almost looks like they have a home and away jersey for the car yeah uh, where they have one where it's like the really like bright electric blue with pink as the like heavy accent and then they flip I think it's it my favorite car one i think it's my i think it's my favorite look it's really ridiculous the two-tone yeah yeah, I'm a big I like fan of that. I like the, Rob's point about the black bottom, though. They kind of all look like skate shoes, just like big <laughs> black yeah. soles, you know, and they're colorful on top. God, yeah. or, or like, yeah, or or like almost, um, yeah, it's like the, the, they've all gone straight edge or something uh, <laughs> in, in some ways. Um, what, do we, what do we think about the lack of uh, Mission Winnow? I mean, yeah, the mission's right, over. it's gone. No more Mission Winnow. I, um, hey, I, I think... Go ahead, Rob. No, I was just going to say, I think Ferrari's livery last year. I think this is a move in the right direction. But I think that is also a car that, like, there's too much black on it. I think that is a case. Like, I'm sorry. You have the most iconic color. Your team is a color. Nobody else gets to just be a color. You right. do. And you're like, no. Ferrari red isn't exciting enough. We need to fuck it up with, like, color gradients and black. Oh, I, I like the Ferrari. I don't think I've ever liked a Ferrari um visually i think they've all been kind of boring mm. i like this one and i think it's because of the black because it makes the black or it makes the red pop like that they've also got these cool yellow highlights on the uh uh these sort of uh, wheel fairings um i think the ferrari is one of my favorites i, I do like the pink the pink alpine uh which i think they're they're gonna run the the pink all pink livery for races one and two and then they'll revert back to the two-tone blue and pink okay um hey. What about the um, the fact that the Gulf Oil uh, like color scheme uh, for McLaren turns out to now just be their their color scheme? 
that their their throwback jersey last year is clearly sort of the inspiration for their season livery this year. I like it too. Yeah, uh, I I I think the I mean orange and blue is like a you know look at any movie poster from the exactly. early two thousands. Yeah. <laughs> teal a and orange contrast yeah. that works. <laughs> uh, the other one I I wanted to point out was um or a couple a couple of like big bodywork things are mm. staring at me. And one of them is like the shark gills on the yes. Aston Martin. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of those. Um, Ferrari's kind of got them. Uh, Alpine's got them. have them. They've covered up one in their photograph here. It looks like this is what they covered up on the side pod. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. I've got kind of a mix of uh, the renders and the on-track cars there. So uh, I will link in the show notes all of the liveries that we're, we're talking about here. Um, but those on like their the official team twitter accounts are all like computer renders right. uh, which may look different from the actual on track cars but i have yeah. uh some some uh articles in like uh autosport have photographs of the of the cars on track from their uh their initial shakedowns so they so, uh, you can tell how different they look yeah alpine has the uh the 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 gills as well mercedes doesn't doesn't look like it it may yeah. come down to like the engine Right, yeah. Um, Ferrari has them. The yeah, other thing funny. I wanted to point out was was Ferrari's. It's you can kind of see it in this picture. The side pod is kind of like a bathtub. It's indented. It's almost like if the car oh, was yeah. made of silly putty, some big child put their thumb right down on top of it. It's right. really yeah, bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, the side pods are all crazy. In fact, th- th- there was a big difference between some of the side pods in the renders and what they look like. Like some of them are way more um, bulging out. Like if you, we have we have two picture here between the the Alpine and the Mercedes together. Like look how different they look. Like the 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 Alpine side pod is like bulging out, mm-hmm. almost like a sort of a water balloon, and then the Mercedes one is like sucked in, almost yeah. like you're like you're sucking in your stomach. You know, like an so inhale. It's, it's like an Xbox yeah. three hundred and sixty. I think I was, yeah, I was exactly. browsing around Brissetera the other night, uh, their F1 thread, and they, they had a bunch of like top downs of the cars. And mm. it seems like overall, um, like there's almost like a tortoise shape that teams have adopted generally across the grid uh, around around the side pods, with the exceptions kind of being like Mercedes and Haas, honestly. Right. Like, everyone else has got this almost like, like tortoise shell or like hexagonal like um, like footprint for the area around the side pods and like it seems like uh haas and merc are kind of the outliers so it's always one of those things right where you see that where you see like generally people went one way with a direction and then there's outliers it's like is the wisdom of the crowd uh on the right track here or did these other guys find some sort of competitive advantage and it's funny how like some of them that are bulging out so hard it's like I don't know. It's like threatening, or, or or it's or it's it's worrying in some way. But then I remind myself, look how big the tires are, and like, so what does the wake look like coming over some of these tires? Because they also have that little, what do you call it? The little like yeah, <laughs> fairing, tire, yeah, yeah, or hanging over the tires. So, so like, how if you look at where these bulges are and look at the height of the tire, it almost looks like you know they're sort of not really caring about the space in between. Like the ones that are bulging out there, that are they? Is that where they're bulging? to make space because they know that the least amount of drag is between that pocket between the two wheels um i'm no aerodynamicist but it's you can draw a straight line on most of the cars between the two tires and where that side pod bulge is happening 
which is yeah. not which was not the case on the old cars, right? Which is yeah, which is pretty. Interesting. I mean, I saw George Russell saying, you know, so uh, the the teams uh, showed their cars like in their uh, you know reveal ceremonies. Uh, posted pictures of them on Twitter. And then I think the way this works is that they get like a couple laps to do like an initial shakedown just to make sure the car starts and runs and they can do uh, like photo ops for those couple laps. Um, and then they, they, you know, they can't do too much because then that would be considered testing and testing is highly regulated. Uh, but during that little session, George Russell was saying that like the, the tires actually make a, big difference visually for the driver because it, it makes them they're so huge that like part of the track uh is actually no longer visible when oh, you're wow. in the cockpit so like hitting apexes is going to be harder that's going to look cool on the game yeah um yeah, those... but yeah they're the cars who's our okay pick a favorite everyone pick a favorite everyone pick a favorite and a least favorite <sighs> should i go first because i made you guys do this yeah sure Okay. Um, most conservative, least favorite so far is Williams. It looks exactly as if you took the old livery and sort of copied it and pasted it onto new cars. Um, for me, anyway, it's it's fairly samey. I'm not I'm not a big fan. Um, and then I like a lot of them, but I think I don't know. The AlphaTauri looks so slick. Like if I was thinking, which Whoa. one of these would I like as like a little like a like a like a toy you know in my like bedroom <laughs> maybe in my bedroom <laughs> maybe somewhere else in the house if i had like to have one of them i think the alfataris i don't like flex rocks whatever that is the advertising on the end of the rear wing on the end of the front wing but um i'm a big fan of it and their rear wing is absolutely satanic i don't know what's <laughs> going on with their <laughs> rear wing it's like everyone else went for these simple rear wings and they were like nah let's put all the curves uh, I think my least favorite one is Haas. Mm. It's just so it's just so boring. It's very um, boring. Red Bull is also just like, okay, yeah, we get it. You have a livery. <laughs> Favorite? Man. I might go with right now. I'm I'm really digging the Ferrari. I don't know. I like it's uh, Man United did this in the late 90s early aughts where they went for a dark red and it was like very controversial with the the fans some of them really liked it and some of them hated it um and it's to me it's like that red is the exact same red as mm. that and uh yeah I'm, i, I kind of like it too i mean what do you think, Rob? black and red jordans are reliably the like top sellers <laughs> like it's 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 a good combo uh have we not seen the alpha uh livery because obviously what we have here is the testing livery yeah they um, have not shown it okay yeah um it's kind of cool it looks like you know alfa romeo is uh you know posting up somewhere gonna wait setting an ambush for the other teams but uh <laughs> that's not that's not a racing livery uh so honestly uh yeah i think you know it's it's kind of you know haas is an easy target here but that that livery mm. sucks yeah. um <laughs> like it is like it is such a shame the the rich energy thing went completely bust out because at least having that like last generation uh like that last golden era lotus color scheme um was nice the the black and gold whereas now yeah this uh the 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 white blue red 
with a big old hoss. Uh, just looks like shit. Danny, I'm gonna. This, I hate the Alphatari. I think. The oh Alpha, really? Oh, I cannot stand it. I. <laughs> I, I think it might be, you know, maybe I dislike it for the reasons you do. Um, it does look very toy-like. It looks like somebody drew on it. Um, it looks like custom in some ways, right? Where you took like a blank and then you sort of created your own little art on it um, in a way that like doesn't do a lot for me. I think it's, I think maybe the, the, the colors are just a little too understated uh, right. in, in some ways. I am, I'm, I am kind of a sucker for this McLaren, uh, Sort of mm. repurposed, uh, like Gulf Oil, uh, color scheme. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I feel like, I feel like that. I'm a simple. I'm a simple man. Oh no! Don't say Williams. <laughs> I kind of like the Williams. Really? <laughs> you have to understand, Danny. My formative years watching racing were the 1990s IndyCar. <laughs> Like to a degree, I'm like, yeah. Now that's an open wheel racer. Now we just put like, just slap a little Home Depot logo on there, right. and now we're ready to go racing. Speaking Target. of logos, I was surprised how few crypto um, sponsorships we have. I think the only one, and it's not in the render here, is Red Bull have one on their front wing for some Singaporean mm. buy bit or something like that. Um, I don't I know that we're seeing all of the yeah. sponsors. Sponsors, yeah, yet. you're right. I think most teams have a crypto sponsor. Just, uh, just considering how pervasive it's been across all sport last year, especially the end of last sport. Uh, yeah. Sorry, the end of last year, uh, and and given the the you know the average, well, not the average, I shouldn't say, but the like the there are a lot of wealthy people who watch F1. It's kind of like a prestige thing, so I can see how they'd want to to sort of get in there but i was i was expecting more of the cars to be covered in like like remember when nascar had that remember when nascar was like we had the doge car yeah well i think uh, also i think f1 is probably taking the most attractive deals off the table because like f1 did a sport-wide thing with crypto uh, oh you're right of course yeah yeah so like i think a lot of that that thing is everywhere yeah it's crazy like they took some of that marquee money off the table um, at which point you you are down to dealing with like, you know, I'm sure like assholes like Bored Ape have tried to get on a car somewhere, but I'm not sure they can. You know, I'm not sure willing to pony up for what it would take you to get when you're fucking apes on these cars. <laughs> if you want I to, I think um, Decal Spotters on Twitter uh, has been following a lot of this stuff, and I cool. think they put together a uh, a big old chart of all the all the crypto stuff in F1. Uh, By but the way, if anyone maybe... says we're conflating crypto and NFTs, I don't care. Like, genuinely, <laughs> like, don't waste your breath. No one gives a shit about this. Like, I understand the distinction. I just don't care. Yeah. It's funny how, yeah, when I was all about the Doge coin thing, I was like, whereas if you asked me if an ape went on a car, I'd be like, uh, um, but yeah. Shall we move I, on? Yes, we move crypto. on. I, I always find the sponsorship interesting because like the Mission yeah. Window stuff, there's always like, we don't get into it too much because we're not, it's not the most exciting part of the sport by any means, but like it is always interesting when that stuff I love it when it's weird. In. Yeah, exactly. When it's weird. And crypto is yeah. no longer weird. So Yeah, exactly. It's not, we need more rich energy just con- that retains weird. the weirdness. Yeah, exactly. We need more of that. Uh, speaking of weirdness, Aston Martin and Alpine 
had some weirdness over the break. Yeah. Rob, uh, gee, like everything got so weird. Uh, so first of all, Omar uh, Safnauer has this long, ambiguous, and like messy feeling exit from Alpine, where the story emerged months ago that like, oh yeah, he's gonna leave Al- uh, he's gonna leave uh, Aston. Sorry, um, he's gonna leave Aston and go to Alpine, and like this was reported out. Might have been Autosport that initially like had the rumor, but like it was sort of like it was a done deal. Basically, it just hadn't been announced, and then uh, Aston sort of gives a weird denial of the entire thing. Uh, meanwhile, everyone, the, the uh, team principal at Alpine, uh, Budkowski, is like fielding these questions that are basically variations on like, so are you a dead man walking? And he's like, <laughs> no, our, my focus is on uh, the, the next year's car. And then before this deal is announced with um, Safnauer going over to Alpine, Alain Prost has this really hostile exit uh, from Alpine where it is announced that he's leaving the team and then he goes on like Instagram and basically blows up their spot and says, well, you know, first we were going to announce it together, but you, you know, you broke, you broke your word to me yet again. The reason I'm not going to be around is because they made me an insulting offer uh, to stay on in my consultancy role uh, for next year. But really, it's not even about that. It's about Laura Rossi, uh, who's running Alpine. Um, Prost basically says he's a like Rossi is a vain prick uh, who wants all <laughs> wow. the credit for like the team to fall on his shoulders. He wants the limelight. This is not a lot of Prost. Wow, saying this, this is some franchise drama. It's it's hard. <laughs> like I am, it is very hard not to look at it through. Like this feels like the most like French thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> <laughs> like Alain Prost like storming out in the huff. Uh, <laughs> No, you are not worthy of my consultancy. (laughs) But at the same time, like, it is real. Like, to not arrange an amicable split with the greatest French racing driver ever? Yeah, it's not Uh, a great look for the nationally owned uh, Formula One team. No, and so they just announced uh, Safnauer um, finally as the new new team principal. That's crazy. Um. So he's he's heading in there, and that's you know coincidence or not, uh, the BWT partnership uh, <laughs> makes its way over there as well. Um, and the funny thing is, it seems like Aston really did not have a successorship thing planned, which is weird because right. if the story broke months ago that uh, Safnauer was probably leaving, the the weird interregnum that unfolded seems a little bit strange in terms of how long it took them to uh, make clear uh, who was coming over. But the the person who's now heading it up is Mike Crack, uh, which is not a name I recognize, but I probably should have uh, because he has been, he was like head of, um, God, he was, he was leading BMW's uh, global motorsport, but also I think had done a fair bit with, they have a background with Porsche as well. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask the obvious question: Why would you not call yourself Michael? It's a good question. What do you mean, Danny? What's Michael wrong with crack. Mike Crack? <laughs> you just got really hit. Be, it. Mike, I don't want to crack. I, yeah, I, I've heard this. Yep, it's like a. 
Well, like anyway, uh, primary school joke. Good luck, Mister <laughs> Mister Mike Crack. Michael, uh, but he'll be, he'll be heading it up. the the other The other thing is, it does sort of recast. I had assumed that it was all Drive to Survive editing liberties that made it look like there was a weird disdain <laughs> between Safnauer and Stroll. Yeah, but it increasingly looks like that may have been genuine. That like they just did did not get on. Um, they're both silverbacks man just like rich old white guys they're just yeah can be only one well and also yeah it does like i don't know if um you know it like i do wonder was safnauer happy about all the hires they were making from the old mclaren operation to head Mm. up uh like things at aston because that was their thing is like you've got stroll there building an organization to compete and the way he's doing it is let's take all the uh, like castoffs uh, who've been sort of run out of McLaren in recent years. Uh, so I will we'll build the team around those. And it might have also been that like Safnauer like saw the writing on the wall, right? Where it's like, hey, this is, these are not my people. This is not my clique. Uh, mm. I need to I need to balance before they finally just swing the axe but it's it's a mess i found it i found it amazing that like you had this type of personnel changing happening this year because like this was such a year that they were all aiming for and planning for as teams that like i thought in terms of personnel like drivers sure but in terms of everyone else that we'd we'd have a fairly consistent you know you don't just introduce somebody at the start of this like you know years long process but I'm shocked. Like, also, like, I feel like Safnair, I, I don't know too much about the internals over there, McLaren, or, uh, but I, I think you worry that, like, when somebody like that with that type of institutional knowledge who also, like, knows the lay of the land goes, like, how stuck are they going to be trying to fill that role? Because, like, Lawrence Stroll isn't exactly, you know, this, it, this is becoming his world, but, like, it's not his world. Yeah. Whose world is it, Danny? Lewis Hamilton's? Well, I think it's if you ask some people, then yeah, he is the champion from last year, and this is his world. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't know if the if the, the hoo-ha will ever die down about the, the last race of last season. Um but uh one of the lingering aspects of it was whether or not Lewis Hamilton would return in 2022, which was kind of feel like it was as much a sort of media storm as it was an actual thing um the drivers do tend to drop off the the grid no pun intended uh during the off season especially hamilton um and given what had happened i don't think anyone would blame him for wanting to uh maybe get a bit of space from all of that you know to fight that hard and you know i think we all sort of have a similar feeling of what happened last year you know he max didn't not deserve to win the championship but the truth is that hamilton's kind of had to take it away from him from a very peculiar decision so when you fight for 20 what was it 22 races last year and that happens you're like yeah maybe drop off the grid for a while but the question was whether or not he'd come back or not people were worried that um, maybe it would be related to what would happen with Michael Massey. Maybe it'd be related to well, um, other changes. Well, to make that connection a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, he, he kind of did. This yeah. is the weird thing about this entire, the way this unfolded was, yes, Hamilton kind of dropped off the grid. And then we hear rumors that, like, you know, he's considering his 
you know, future in F1, uh, et cetera. And it was like total wolf out there being like, man, I hope we don't lose this incredible competitor. It would be yeah. a shame if this, you know, if the way that season ended. And it's tough to work out, like, to what degree is it genuine and to what degree is it, like, positioning for what were then ongoing fights with the FIA, right? Yeah. Like, to a degree, um, because Mercedes, um, they had the option to, like, escalate their dispute into a full-on lawsuit um, with the FIA. And from what I understand, that could have, that, like, there would have been grounds for a really messy uh, suit that, frankly, would have been awesome, uh, and I, I regret that we <laughs> that we didn't see it. But instead, you know, they make nice with the FIA. But I, but I do I do feel like part of it was that just by being silent and off the grid, uh, Hamilton that silence ends up feeling really pointed uh, at the FIA and sort of draw like you know puts a bullet next to. Uh, what Toto was sort of saying a lot during the offseason, which is obviously we need to take away, you know, we we need to make changes and like have learnings from the experience yeah. of uh, Abu Dhabi. I for whatever reason, I think it's just because I've come to I know it's you can see who Toto Wolf is and when he's talking, I I sort of take it with that big lump of salt that I never thought that there was much here. I was like, of course Hamilton's not going to. F- retired the year he had the most embarrassing thing happen to him regardless of always well maybe his first season was the most embarrassing actually but and maybe his first winning season was actually kind of also embarrassing so i don't know uh but i i never put much stock in it but at least he came back they did the um the, the reveal of delivery and all that sort of stuff um there was some sky presenters who were sort of interviewing him as part of that whole thing and we got this quote uh just when i asked him about his decision to come back he said yeah it was obviously a difficult time for me and it was a time where i really needed to take a step back and focus on being present i had my family all around me and creating great moments and i eventually got to a point where i decided i was going to be attacking coming into another season and working with toto and george and i think that's a big part of it is that you have to remember that like you know we enjoy the time off right that i enjoy having six weeks or whatever it is now these days uh to like take a breather away from f1 can you imagine like the intensity that a f1 champion is bringing into this season um that it's not even just about do i want to come back it's do i want to come can i muster the energy to come back with all of me that i need to bring for this season Probably more than ever before, considering what happened last season. He's going to be dogging it out to, like, really get the championship this year and crush Red Bull. You know what I mean? So, yeah, take a couple weeks off and then figure it out and come back. So, you know, I'm glad he's coming back. It would be such an absolute bummer if he didn't come back this year. Yeah, and it's, you know, I guess we'll never know exactly how much, you know, hit what Toto said or what, how Hamilton reacted, uh, influenced, uh, changes at the FIA, but changes there were starting with the president of the FIA. This is not related to the Abu Dhabi stuff. Uh, John Todd, the previous president concluded his term at the end of 2021, uh, having had the post for the last 12 years. Mm. And, uh, after a vote, FIA members elected a man named Mohammed Ben Suleyam. Suleyam. Thank you, Danny. I'm going to have to get used to that. Uh, he's from the UAE. He's a former rally driver, uh, having won the Middle East Rally Championship 14 times Hell from yeah. 1986 to 2002. <laughs> uh, he also raced in the World Rally Championship in the 90s in the Group N category and scored multiple class wins. Uh, he's worked for the FIA for a number of different capacities, including on the World Motorsport Council. 
uh, one term as FIA's vice president for sport and serving as vice president for mobility and tourism from 2013 to 2017. He is the first non-European president in the FIA's 117-year history. There you go. Uh, and the FIA, by the way, is the governing body of many motorsports yes. uh, across the world, including Formula One. Um, so he had a large task ahead of him as soon as he took office in December, namely what to do about how things went down in Abu Dhabi last year, as Danny, you alluded to, uh, a decision by race director, Michael Massey, uh, shall we say an unorthodox move, (laughs) um, basically handed Verstappen, uh, the championship, uh, over Lewis Hamilton, um, Yada, yada, yada. Let's get to the upshot. Uh, under the tutelage of Mr. Ben Sulayem, Michael Massey is no longer the F1 race director. He has been reassigned, and a whole host of other changes have been made to how F1 officiates races. So, number one, we now have two race directors who will alternate. Uh, the former DTM director, uh, oh. yeah, his name is Nels Vitic. <laughs> He had previously been Michael Massey's deputy, uh, or was going to be for this year, uh, but now he's one of the two race directors. The other is World Endurance Championship race director Eduardo Freitas, who, if I'm right, also called the European Le Mans series last year, meaning he... The voice of God has come to F1. (laughs) Yes, the cool, no-nonsense voice we've been hearing over the radio in Michael Fassbender's YouTube series. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay, yeah, this, I love that this guy. Confer- that confirms for me. I was watching. I was like, this race director seems to like have it going on. Like this guy yeah. seems yeah. to really like. Man, he, he runs the shit out of these races. Maybe he should have Michael Massey. <laughs> it's a job. shame we won't be able to hear him at all during this year. Oh. So that's a, yeah. That's another thing. Um, direct radio communications during the race will no longer be. Well, it certainly won't be televised. Yeah, Uh, I think they may even be changing how the teams can talk to the race director. Um, They there. It says uh, this is from Stefano Domenicali, CEO of Formula One. It will still be possible to ask questions to the race director according to a well-defined and non-intrusive process. Basically, they're trying to just just call them up and say, no, no, that wasn't right. (laughs) You have to create a support ticket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just hold music. It's uh, it's the chain. (laughs) Right. It's just the guitar solo. Um, So uh, just uh, back to the two race directors. They will be backed up by a senior advisor named Herbie Blash, who worked closely with Massey's uh, predecessor, Charlie Whiting. Um, who I guess is just there to be another voice of reason. I don't know. Mm. Uh, In addition to help the race director adjudicate incidents, a, quote, virtual race room will be created off-site, likely in Geneva, of all places, uh, that Ben Suleyem likened to VAR in soccer. Mm. Uh, Danny, do you want to explain (laughs) how VAR works? Yes. Is it the video assistant referee is what we're going to call it? It is basically the the replay system from NFL brought to soccer. Uh, Although also, you know, you had similar stuff in tennis for a long time. Cricket has had uh, assisted stuff. Um, Yeah, VAR got brought into soccer and was fairly... um, it was a ma- it was the biggest change that happened in modern soccer and um you know in whatever since they brought you know the offside rule in or stopped goalkeepers allowing to 
fucking pick up back passes um it was uh whenever goals go in now they basically check them for offsides whenever there are tackles off the ball or red cards yellow cards they have a offside video referee you know kind of just like nfl when they go to new york it's the mm-hmm. same type of thing they they watch it over and over again and then they adjudicate the, the problem being that like much like f1 soccer the and unlike for instance stuff like baseball and nfl which have more sort of I feel like rigid rules. Soccer and F1 both have a lot of room for interpretation, especially when it comes to incidents where cars came together or people tackled each other and stuff like that. So VAR has often, you could argue, has created some problems while it fixed other ones. So um, the problem we could run into here is if we don't get insight into what this Geneva branch are doing which i i'm guessing is kind of the point because i think a lot of the fracturous discourse in the f1 community and between red bull and mercedes was kind of because they had too much information we were given and i'm not a fan of that but i kind of feel like last year was also a litmus test for are the f1 teams and f1 fans mature enough to have all the information and i think the answer was no so (laughs) So mm. i've i have a feeling they're gonna like keep a lot of this stuff behind closed doors and we're going to have two cars come together and there's going to be a decision made by some invisible hand and that's just going to be it. And uh, how that goes down, we're going to have to feel some way about it, but it's kind of the way stuff was before. Is this a shot? Like, is this them marginalizing the current stewards without saying they're marginalizing the current stewards? See, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what just, happens to them and I'm unclear how this is going to be different, Because well, No, because listen to this, though. Um... So, in real-time connection with the FIA F1 race director, it will help apply the sporting regulations using the most modern technological tools. You don't need, like, with the amount of, like, race direction firepower that's going to be there on site, you don't need an off-site facility supporting them to help, like, figure out what does the rulebook say, how do we handle this restart. But what they're describing and what you need all those technological tools for is rapidly assessing on-track incidents. Like, this mm. is, like, he's not saying it, but, like, this is, the, like, I think a lot of us came out of the season feeling like one of the things that made it such a toxic season. And I think, um, I think Toto even said this during the offseason when he sort of admitted that he and Christian had both gone too far. He said, like, look, one, we thought having the radio communications over the open air would improve the show. And it did. Mm. But he was like, <laughs> Christian and I, I think we went way too far. Um, I think people heard too much, and I think we said too much. We we lobbied uh, yeah, too they much. They were using it. They yeah. were using it as a lobbying tool for but, the public as much as anything else. But right? the other thing was one reason you start doing that is because you you started to have the sense that like there were no consistent officiating standards. Yeah, last year was wild. And so this is like if like I, I do think if they had like made clear consistent rulings, there wouldn't have been the sense that like between Ferrari and between Mercedes and Red Bull that like one of them was always the aggrieved party or something. Uh, but yeah, so like this, this description, I'm like, this is the, this is the facility you build the NFL system. You're making judgment calls about like whether something deserves a penalty or whether something's like rule to catch or something. To me, this is all, this is stuff that the stewards are there for. And the stewards have been botching it for years. And it feels like mm. quietly, um, would not be surprised if the stewards are still there, so you can have some of the old heads there to like, you know, here's a beloved figure helping us officiate this race. But also now, 
there's a voting majority of stewards back in Geneva uh, who like have clear the council stewards. Yeah, it it does make sense to me to separate the safe running of the race, which should be the race director's job. Yeah, from things like penalties. How right? many times last year, Drew, did we have a situation where Michael completely legitimately would say something like, "I'm getting to it." Right. He yeah. had like, you know what I mean? Like a crash happens. He has all that other stuff to do. And then he has to adjudicate something. Talk right? about whose fault it was. Yeah. Uh, th- those, those to me are completely different things. So maybe this is more of that separation. I don't know. Um, I was going to say, it's a lot. Of, like, this is one of those things where be- <laughs> because one guy kind of choked in the <laughs> biggest moment of his career we now have this massive infrastructure building yeah. up so that, that can't happen it's like yeah. like really to me it's like maybe just don't have michael massey in this job anymore and maybe don't <laughs> let guys talk directly to him like those are probably the two things but it's like no we're gonna solve the shit yeah. out of it you you know what you didn't like michael massey we're gonna give you eight race directors <laughs> <you> like that <laughs> it's like that onion ad for like uh you know head of gillette fuck it we're doing 12 blades like this is kind of the solution to abu dhabi that i see the fia taking yeah. yeah uh they also announced that the unlapping procedure is under review uh and we should see an announcement about that before the start of the season did it need to they, be under review i feel like I, I feel like it was just i feel like we had a rule for that they just didn't do it yes. yeah <laughs> oh man it was just so you know it was so confusing those those two ways you can do you can do restarts yeah uh, what people didn't the realize way is there's a third way, way. <laughs> there was a third yeah. way and you just never saw it before and it's it like if a referee people. like pulled out like a green card in a soccer <laughs> game, <laughs> like, like an orange card. You're like, wait, what? Oh, you didn't know about this one? <laughs> uh, there, there are even more changes, though, um, because Abu Dhabi wasn't the only black eye on the 2021 season. We now have no. a washout rule, so we don't get a repeat of last year's rained out Belgian Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Although we got George on the podium, man. I'll, I'll take true. it. true. Uh, it, just to reset that, it rained so much at Spa that the cars really just drove around behind the safety car. Uh, but due to how laps were counted, the top 10 drivers still received championship points, albeit half points, uh, despite not really racing. So now a minimum of two racing laps that are not behind a safety car or virtual safety car must be run for it to count as a race. And then there is a sliding scale of points based on how much of the race is completed. Make, again, how was that not the rule before? I I thought they did half points. I was I, I they used to do half points, right? Like I I'm not, I haven't gone crazy. I remember there being no, half no, no. points. That, that, no, I mean they, that was the rule. It's they just never the had a lap under racing. Yes, at Belgium. That was the, the issue. Right, like, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Nobody uh, had they ever lost a race completely in that fashion. Um, I feel like yeah, there was a I massive think- rain out at Korea once, but I think that was like during qualifying and they eventually like made up the time. It but- must have happened at some stage, but in the modern era, yeah, I can't remember. Maybe in the 90s or something. I can't remember. I mean, this is obviously like rewarding, awarding half points for that was kind of, was, was pretty ridiculous. The fact that there's no option to get a race Sorry, on. I forgot it was half. Yeah. Rains a lot on the day of is, is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, this is clearly a, a fix that was needed, especially given how like volatile weather patterns are getting. Um, but at the same time, I do love that, like, the FIA has launched a full investigation to everything that 
cost Lewis Hamilton his eighth <laughs> title, and we are going to address these issues. Uh, speaking of points, more will be awarded this year during sprint races. Cool. So the sprint races are the short races that are about a third of the normal race distance that take place after qualifying and set the grid for the normal race. Uh, last year, the first place sprint finisher got three points, second place got two, and third place got one. Now the top eight will get points. Um, eight points for first place, seven for second, six, five, four, three, two, and then eighth place gets one point. Cool. Um, it was previously announced that the 2022 season would have six sprints, double the number of last year, but some teams balked at that saying, you know, hey, the cars get damaged during sprints. And since UF1 are the ones putting this superfluous event for entertainment value upon us, you're going to need to reimburse us. Hey, guess what? F1 is a superfluous event for entertainment value. It's true. We love it for that reason. <laughs> Uh, no agreement has been made on that, so we are back to last year's agreement of three sprints. So it'll be the Emilia Romana Grand Prix at Imola, the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring, and the well, Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos. In the cool. research, one of the things the FIA was proposing was, well, we could raise your cost cap to compensate for yeah. it. But then some of the teams, and I think, the, like especially led by Zach Brown, were like, no. Like we're not like you're you're basically saying you're going to let us make the spent the sport more expensive to do these sprints. Right. Uh yeah. so you're going to let us pay for the cost of running these things. Absolutely not. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. How gracious. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think one of the most surprising rule changes for me, at least, is the elimination of the Q two tire rule. Yeah. So this Why is the rule that says the good rule. Yeah, so this is the rule that says the tires that you used to get to the final stage of qualifying are the tires you start the race on. It existed to encourage teams to try to get into the top 10 on harder tires so that they could do a longer first stint, potentially allow chasing teams the opportunity to gain an advantage with an opposite strategy. But I guess the thinking is that in practice, it really hasn't led to much variation. Mm. And so they're just getting rid of it entirely. I, I, It feels a little weird to me because it, it strikes me as F1 pulling multiple levers at the same yeah. time to try to make racing better rather than like the scientific approach of changing one thing and seeing what happens. I guess I can see it because like to the point, everyone would qualify in like the medium tire if they could. Um, if they could conceivably do it, they would opt for the longer stint or you try the counter strategy of being on the softer tire, um, either because that was the only way you'd get into the top 10 or because you were thinking you might be in more of an attack mode to start. I guess I can sort of see it. Um, mm. But yeah, I felt like the, I felt like it raised the stakes of that Q, that, that Q2 uh, session, right? To like really, it made it you, you had to really like, nail it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how these cars qualify because so much of the conversation has been around how they'll race behind each other um, and 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 how like connected or disconnected those things are, right? Because like we really had a season for the past, you know, generation, the past you know, decade basically where you had cars that were able to overtake and they were just so much faster on pace and qualifying. And then there was like track conditions or tire strategy was how overtakes happened. If we now have cars that are able to overtake better, does that mean that qualifying is less important? Does it mean that the Hmm. gulfs, uh, maybe the gulfs in qualifying will be even larger than before? Um, uh, because, the, 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 with the ability to overtake, it's, it's less crucial. Um, 
that's what I'm so excited about all the testing and the you know the first couple of races are just going to be like so fascinating. So I guess the hope I wonder if it's kind of like the DRS thing where like a lot of these things that were put in to try and create the type of competition that these new regs are hopefully going to do, but I'm kind of with you where we are changing a lot of things at the same time and it might be hard to you know adapt they can always bring it back at least it's that it's a pretty easy regulation to just like decide to bring back nobody has to do anything um so for now each car gets its choice of tire for the start of the race uh which you know could mean that we'll get the sort of exciting thing that happens in moto gp where like all the cars are (laughs) like the the tire warmers are covering up the tires and we don't know which (laughs) compound each team starts on then they're all revealed oh george russell starting on the softs uh that could be fun um but while we as viewers may be losing the team radio to the race director we are gaining what f1 has been calling show and tell uh basically the the teams now have to submit to the fia a list of the new parts intended to be run at each race then they show off their cars once before free practice two uh sorry free practice one and then once after qualifying in which case five teams that are chosen by the race director, send a senior figure from the team to explain the changes they've made between free practice one and qualifying. So it's basically like, here's a way to highlight all of the new aerodynamic parts that is uh, awesome. and uh, on the cars for the viewing audience, which I think wow. is, uh, frankly, a great idea. And for the other teams, although I'm sure a lot of them could figure that shit so, out. But like- so my, my yeah, I, I imagine that we might see some vagueness with the team representatives talking about their stuff. But frankly, if like, you know, all the teams are looking at pictures and footage of the other cars, right? At a race weekend, you know, before the race happens. Um, So even if the team representative just like explains the quote unquote obvious stuff, that could still be really informative for, you know, laymen like us. I think that could be cool. I'd like them to have really benign stuff that they're having to explain. Like last year, they would have had to have like shown the 15 iterations of Kimmy's drink thing that right. kept breaking over the course of the year. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we've changed it again. This time he has a button to here. Hopefully it won't leak all over him. Or, yeah. Uh, uh, this is coming as part of a larger formatting change for the race weekends, intending to condense the amount of time the personnel have, personnel have to be at the track. So the media stuff used to happen on Thursdays, now happens on Friday mornings. This is them maybe trying to do something for the poor workers who are going to have to do 23 weekends this year. I remember I saw Rob yeah. tweeting last night about some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, should we th- yeah. talk about this? Like, it was it was an off-season story, but, like, Autosport published a thing, um, an anonymous, uh, like, what's the way to put it? An anonymous, like, testimony of an F1 mechanic just describing what the 23 race season means for these crews and it was it's kind of shocking how shitty it sounds like um sort of sort of describing the fact that you you have to remember that a lot of these a lot of the the pit crew are being flown around the world in coach um and because Mm. the schedules are so tight it's not like you get off the plane go to your hotel like rest and get ready um, a lot of times it is you fly around the world on a long distance flight, you get off the plane, you go straight to the circuit and like get to work. Um, and then every single time, uh, you know, 
teardown takes extra time or you're, you're late or with COVID, um, you know, if you have to like wait uh, for a test result to come back, maybe you just miss a day with your family uh, because mm-hmm. of that. Um, but yeah, it, it, but like just overall, the psychological toll laid out um, sounds like it was pretty severe. Like that, this is the this tempo and this season length is where you start really cutting into the bone of uh, of some of some of these of some of these mechanics. Yeah, it's going to be even harder this year coming off of just having done it last year. Right, and the concern is that the teams just don't seem to give a shit. I think some of them have even said, um, God, I, I can't remember who was quoted as saying this. Was it tossed? Feels like a tossed quote. Um, that it was, you know, people who don't want to do this can go work in another industry. Yeah, totally. Right? I'm sure. Yeah. The competitive yeah, way nature of this stuff is going to, you know, the, the, the macho ness of just like bite down on the math guard or whatever. Right, and like that, oh, dude, and that's the other part where they're talking about like, okay, so you got just massive amounts of overwork hitting these people. So what are they turning to? Um, drugs. Like, there's a massive, like, there's apparently like a oh, yeah. growing problem of drug abuse uh, in in the paddock because you have people who are either managing pain from overwork uh, with painkillers, or they are managing exhaustion uh, with various forms of uppers. Yeah, uh, totally. to keep going. And so it's like one of these things where it's worth noting that like the the growth in the length of the season has happened pretty rapidly recently. Like this is not in recent years this has escalated really fast. And we may have just like the sport may have just wildly overshot the mark. Um and they haven't really like processed what they've done to these crews. And unfortunately the people in charge of these teams also don't seem to care. And this is where the cost cap comes in. All of this would probably be more bearable if you're being paid like mercenaries wages, or if you were hiring more staff uh, to like rotate like crews on, on travel duty. But the cost cap gives, gives cause to not hire more staff and not give raises. So a lot of the mechanics feel like also there are no career prospects. You just, do this, you burn out, and you leave kind of physically and emotionally wrecked. That's that is the new life cycle of an F one mechanic, and that's new. That didn't used to be that way. Mm. Yeah, I, I think a, a good quote from that article is, um, "All that will be left if you push everyone over the edge is kids doing the job. You won't find great mechanics, and the sport as a whole will fail because it is no longer about the best staff working for the best teams." who attract the best drivers. I mean, that's sort of, you know, the exact counter argument to, uh, if you don't like it, leave. Right. So, yeah, hopefully something changes there. I mean, requiring different, like alternating teams might be a way to do that. Um, who knows? Um, one last thing here, uh, a change that you will see, um, this year is, uh, no longer any pre-race grid moments, also known as the We Race as One ceremony, where drivers were able to make gestures of solidarity with causes such as taking a knee. Um, Stefano Domenicali told Sky Sports that it was time to change, quote, gesture to action. 
<laughs> we need to make sure that we what we did was important to show the intention of Formula One in things that were really important for the world. Now the action is the focus on the diversity of our community, and this is the first step. So what he's referring to um, is F1's engineering scholarship program, which last year fund, funded 10 students to study, study engineering in the UK and Italy. Uh, this year, F1 has announced an extension to that program uh, to keep it going until 2025. But all these older geezers getting burnt out with these 23 races. We need oh, some yeah, kids. Oh, yeah, you got to get them in there. <laughs> yeah. Get the kids. More meat for the grinder. <laughs> exactly. So uh, those drivers like, of coding initiative sound, right? Is like, And we're going to help yeah. people out by expanding our labor force and making totally. this position more interchangeable. <laughs> uh, drivers apparently will still be able to make gestures at other times, but there is no longer a designated spot for it, which... I don't know. It, it, if it's all in one place, to be, does it become easy to ignore? Does it become? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how radical is 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 uh, you know preordained um, the time to say your piece? You know, right. yeah, I, I, I could cut this. You could cut this onion a million different ways. Like the apathy in relation to some of these issues. You know, F one wanting to get away from it. You know, you know all that sort of stuff. Um, if nothing else, the thing that makes me feel good at least is that the drivers are seemed seem to be pretty like this generation of drivers seem more clued in to the plight of regular folks maybe mm-hmm. around the world than previous generations so or seem you know. pointedly clued out but correct but. yes some of them yes are blissfully ignorant <laughs> um yeah so i mean they weren't televising it anyway at, at, at a certain point right it was just kind of well, this was the, like the mm-hmm. entire thing was becoming kind of an embarrassment right where like it was some drivers clearly did think about these issues and like take them seriously some were just kind of showing up there so they didn't get fined uh and like some like were kind of actively hostile to it and to a degree the broadcast was too um it was always yeah. like kind of a kind of an increasingly half-assed thing um so i think i think mm. for everyone's sake it needed to die because yeah it wasn't doing a whole lot except kind of highlighting the degree to which gestures like this are mahalo well speaking of television Yes. Do we want to say anything more about Drive to Survive, Danny? Absolutely. Season 4 starts on Friday, March 11th. They are dumping it all up there in one lump. Uh, here's a quote from F1 Netflix to get your mouth watering, offering unprecedented access. Season 4 will once again take fans behind the scenes to witness firsthand how the drivers and teams prepare to battle it out for victory in one of sport's most dramatic seasons to date. Get ready to delve into fierce team rivalries, unexpected podiums, and the intense title battle between Mercedes and Red Bull. As the pressures reach an all-time high both on and off the grid uh it remains to be seen how much of max verstappen we will see of course max said last year that he was not really participating because he was unhappy with the quote-unquote faked rivalries of the previous season which we also i think most of f1 fandom especially in relation to um lando norris and carlos Sainz jr that whole episode was a real nonsense journey Yep. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see how much he's in. I, I suspect he won't be in it as much, but it'll be easy to tell that story because they'll have pr- plenty of Christian Horner and plenty of dramatic shots of Max not talking to them to fill in the gaps. So, um, that's yeah, right. We'll Only see. Max said he wasn't cooperating, right? Exactly. Red Bull didn't. Christian yeah. Horner ain't going to stay away from the camera. Oh, no. He could, no, absolutely not. That's why he's doing that's That's, that's, that's the game. Uh, one more news item here I wanted to throw up. Uh, Rob comments on michael mann's ferrari film what oh so you didn't know okay no. 
So there has been, yeah, there's been a uh, Enzo Ferrari biopic. I think it's been shopped around Hollywood for ages. Okay. Um, and Michael Mann is making it, which makes perfect sense because Michael Mann movies are always about uh, sort of a guy dedicated to a craft past the point of all reason uh, and the expense <laughs> of his relationships um, and how craft can be a value in itself uh, for good or for ill. And so who better to make a movie about for him than uh, Enzo Ferrari? And it's wow. going to be starring Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley. Um, and apparently it's going to be like it's going to be taking place in 1957, uh, which is kind of a like was kind of a low point for Ferrari as a team and then like auto, man, auto manufacturer. And it's about the uh, apparently specifically about the uh, the Mia Miglia uh, that Ferrari competed in. But also, of course, it's about. Uh, you know Enzo's deteriorating home life, right? Uh, he's not. This isn't a book, though. This isn't like no. This is not. This is not heat two. two. This is not heat two. <laughs> heat uh, two, the most disappointing trailer of all time. <laughs> it's no, like, oh my god, they're making a sequel to Heat. Oh, it's it's a book. disappointing, but but <laughs> what about Heat becomes an HBO series, which is what I think his play is. Um, oh, he's already doing great. Tokyo Vice. Yeah. Um, he did. Uh, luck with hbo so like right. i suspect he might be keen to like hey i could make a i could make a tv show about this but either way uh yeah i am i am so thrilled that like all my friends for like uh like that a few day period were sending me like oh, rob did you hear that michael mann is making a ferrari movie and i was like <laughs> i did hear that but thank you like I'm, I'm i'm excited the brand is that strong um and yeah i gotta believe uh this this feels like a perfect match of like story and director um i just mm. hope that the whatever is going on around the black hat public enemies era of man's career is over i i for one cannot wait for the reprisal of uh adam driver's italian accent let's go uh should we take it to some emails here real quick danny sure uh shift the phone podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails i am back checking the emails um we got some uh, little quick ones here. Drew, you want to take this one from Bailey? Yes, Bailey says, Hello, I'm looking forward to the new season of Shift F1 and uh, happy I can support it for another year. Thank you so much, Bailey. Uh, I'm planning on going to Monaco for the Grand Prix this year. Wow. And was wondering if you had any advice. Given that Monaco is typically a procession on Sunday, would uh, watch it now be full of overtaking this year. Uh, <laughs> I thought that either seats at A1 Grandstand or K Grandstand would be quite fun. These tickets, which all have uh, big screen views, are all the same price. Would you have any recommendations? This will be my first time attending an F1 race. Thanks in advance for any and all recommendations Man. and advice. That is, congratulations. That's going to be amazing. Isn't that badass? Uh, certainly a bucket list item for me. Right. Um, I looked at I the, s- the seating chart, and it, yeah, those A1 and K, are looks like they're after the chicane. They're kind of the big grandstands looking straight out onto the harbor. Yeah, um, good view. Which is, that's pretty good, right? Because, like, you're probably not going to see much anywhere. Yeah. I think, I think if you've got, uh, your, your best view is of it, is if there's a television, I would go with that. Um, you know, having, heard, having I, not been I, to the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, A1, I think, is sold out now. That's basically the first turn, just, uh, you know, there. Which, I that'd be pretty boring when there's not cars there. Because nothing really happens. I mean, the first lap is usually good there. But, like, the, generally, I feel like the, the first turn... In Monaco, doesn't have much. The other place I heard is good is up near them, 
is uh, up near the, the, the B, up like around turn five, up around there. Because okay. it's quite high up as well. So you can see a couple of turns there. Uh, but K yeah, seems would, to be the money shot, right? I, I would I would just say that no matter where you go, F1 is tough to follow from yeah. the track uh, unless you've got a television screen and or uh, a radio. So uh, when we went in Austin, F1's app like broadcast the BBC feed. Uh, so you were able to, because it's tough to, to hear the, the TV over the speakers uh, when you're there on the track. Um, yeah. But if you have like an ear an earpiece in, which I did, you could follow along uh, and kind of look at the timing screen on the app itself. So I would recommend that. Also, like just assume you're going to be in the sun the whole time. So lots of sunscreen oh, yeah. and, and hats and stuff. Good shoes. So you're you're comfy there. Um, and yeah, go go ahead of time to, you know, practice and or qualifying to kind of scout the area see where your seats are going to be uh just get a lay of the land when you can uh so that when you get there it's not all uh insane and buy some overpriced hats yeah and send us some pictures bailey that sounds awesome yeah never been uh got an email here from gavin about testing with the new cars being rolled out soon i'm curious if there's any insight into how those are tested before they hit the track most teams have simulators but how can you know how the new car will act before they're fully assembled also I know there are rules with around wind tunnel time, but are there any rules that affect how teams can test cars as they're being built? I'm assuming they can just run pre-production cars around the track. Can or they can't run pre-production cars around the track? Can they? Um, so yeah, yeah. In general, we'll go through a lot of this in the primer. But in general, there are like limits on aero time. There are now limits on the amount of uh, computational fluid dynamics they do, which is when you're getting computers to basically run uh, simulations over and over again. Sorry, I keep dropping this fucking metal thing <laughs> over and over again. It's just my lug nut falling out. Um, the the they cannot run the cars beforehand but i did want to look into how this changed for the 2022 cars because it seemed like this was a special case where maybe they would want to have access to it so apparently last year um f1's own motorsport internal team ran uh, 7500 computational simulations um and they also did like hours upon hours of um uh wind tunnel time in sauber's wind tunnel um over the course of two years and this was given to the teams and then also the teams themselves were allowed to do uh, as much wind tunnel time and cfd on that baseline car as they wanted so that that was sort of and then there was a feedback process between the teams this was like a sort of a two-year process so they have that at least so it's not like they're going in completely blind so they have basically the sort of default mode version of the car they have as much data on it as they possibly want um how they got from that point to the cars they have now they will have used some wind tunnel time they will have used some cfd but largely they won't know how the cars operate until they're out on track and like you said at the top drew you know they they have had some photo ops where they brought the track like uh the will or mercedes had them out on silverstone during that terrible storm last week um but I suspect we were sort of talking off air before we started recording. They probably don't get telemetry from that stuff. Like I doubt they're allowed to do a lot of that stuff there. Uh, largely, this will all come down to testing, and this year it's going to be a little bit different, right, Drew? They're 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 doing some of the testing behind closed doors. 
That's right. Uh, again, if you want to email us uh, just to conclude this area of the show, F1, shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shift F1 podcast. Uh, I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Uh, speaking of testing and everything else that is happening soon, shall we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. All right, well, before I get to testing, let's run down what's happening this weekend in the world of racing. The World Rally Championship is at Rally Sweden. Mm, where's the, that? Uh, it's in Sweden. At Sweden, Delaware? Um, or Sweden, <laughs> Sweden, Connecticut? Umia, Sweden. Umia. Yes. They should have DTM in Umia. Umia. Uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series is at the Auto Club Speedway, Fontana. That's the in most Fontana, generic California. named place. Fontana. Mm-hmm. It's like Montana spelt wrong. It's it's Fontana. It's like Fon- if, if you had a Fanta in Montana. Fontana. Uh, Fontana. For the Production Alliance Group 300, IndyCar <laughs> kicks <laughs> off <me>. their season. <laughs> Jesus, what happened to... Now bring crypto into their stuff. The pro- What was it? The process... Production- Production Alliance Group 300. That entire weekend, from the race course to the advertiser, sounds like a computer made it up. <laughs> it was I'm looking that up, because I would bet, like, if, if ever a group sounded <laughs> like they're trying to weaken environmental regulations, it's the Production <laughs> Alliance Group. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we, we did not have an episode before this week, really, because all this news basically broke in the last week or two. Mm. Um, which means we missed out on the previous Xfinity Series race, the Beef It's What's For Dinner 300. <laughs> That's more like it. That's more like it. Yeah, That's wait, my has Xfinity done that, Series. Uh, horrible uh, LA Coliseum Beef. event yet? Oh, uh, yes. The Bush Clash, uh, the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum. That already happened? Yeah, it, it did. It already happened, yeah, February 6th. Oh, man. That, the, I wonder if it was a travesty. I felt like that probably would have been a travesty. What were they doing? They built a little track inside the LA Coliseum where the Rams used to play. Wow. And they Must ran a little track. It's a tiny track. It's a quarter mile track. <laughs> they were going to put awesome. cars on it and race there. Destruction Derby wasn't bringing, up, bringing in enough bums on seats. Wow. Um, yeah, IndyCar kicks off their season this weekend for the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Florida. Thank God. Where's yep. that? It's in Florida. Uh, <laughs> is there a C? 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 Yeah. Um, it's also it's at an airport, which is cool. It's cool. And uh, I mean, Silverstone's at an airport. It's true. Uh, we also have NASCAR. Oh my! Also at Fontana. Fontana for the Wise Power Four Hundred. Sure. Yep. I got nothing to say about that. Uh, and then testing. So, okay. Hmm. Testing, yeah. in quotes, is happening this this uh, February 23rd through 25th. Um, it's really, this. there's two sections. There's the February 23rd through 25th, and then there's uh, the March 10th through 12th. The first testing... Um, event is more of a shakedown uh it's not going to be televised uh i think it's just an opportunity for the cars to go around track 
and make sure that they can like get up to speed, that they can like actually corner that sort of stuff because they're uh, they're drastically different, new regulations, all that stuff. Um, apparently, there will be you know content from this. I assume F1's YouTube channel will have uh, a wrap up at the end of the day every day or something yeah, like F1 that. F1 TV might have some yeah pre and post. Sure, I'm Sky excited to see what they do this things. year because they did a lot of stuff last year. They added a lot of shows. Yeah, so so testing one is really not testing. The actual test is uh, the March 10th through 12th in Bahrain, whereas the shakedown was in Barcelona. Um, that'll happen a week before the first race. That will be televised. Uh, so that that will be more of the let's look at the timesheets. Um, let's see who did all the running uh, and who you know uh, who's looking good, who's looking not so good. Yeah, man, um, man. Yeah. God. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for our Patreon exclusive episode on the Grand Prix driver McLaren documentary. Yeah. Next week. Uh, coming soon. And then uh, I believe the following week is when we will have our preseason primer. Oh, boy. And then it will be time to dig into the season, starting with a pre Bahrain episode, which I guess will kind of recap the actual test uh, in Bahrain uh, as well. Um, but yeah, we're, we're F1's coming back, people. We're getting into it. I know this is just like this is our shakedown. Today was our That's shakedown. Right. We're getting yeah, we'll be shaking up cobwebs. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I did a little research mediums. just now. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Production Alliance Group. <laughs> they run events, but if you go to their about page, it looks like a shit post. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're an events hosting service. But their about page looks like a shitpost version of what like an events oh company gosh. would publish. It is a picture, a picture of a ballroom with a big backdrop for the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. <laughs> um, some servers. So just a rack of servers, red LEDs, mm. big old warehouse full of Pelican cases. Love it. Uh-huh. Love it. Uh, some that is a TV with AI written on it. Yeah, this looks legit. <laughs> some CPU towers. Legit. Yeah, and yep. then some screens in ballrooms. Great. Right. We'll hire them for your for your next foundation server. We've been trying to figure out how we're going to make drinking that bottle of wine interesting. Uh, I think exactly. the Production Alliance Group can help. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, let's go to a hotel ballroom. Perfect. All right. Well, on that note, um, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Meow.